right. Well, good morning again to everyone. So good to see um, most of you. Good to see all of you today. Uh, lots of stuff happening here. Anybody got a graduate in their life? You're celebrating this week, a grandchild, a parent, a kid, an uncle, and a raise your hand up nice and high. It's that season. I'm seeing all the postings. That's awesome. Congratulations. So that's really great. Uh, if you're a guest this morning, let me welcome you again. Inside the program is a little note from me, uh, and it has my cell phone number in it. And so if you're kind of newer, newish, this is your first time, or maybe you've been here a few times, and you want to grab coffee and ask some questions, chat, get to know my story, I'd love to get to hear your story. Uh, I'd love for you that. You just send me a text message right uh, at that number, and we'll set it up. And usually I can get to that with, usually I can get coffee within a few days. So uh, it'd be a lot of fun if you want to do that. So, and I always like to say this, in case people don't really believe that this happens, how many of you have been able to send me a text message and have coffee with me? Raise your hand nice and high. See, I actually like to do this, okay? It, it's taken a few years to be able to get a few hands to be able to raise, but you know, that's all right. That's all right. How many of you had to pay? Let's ask that question. How many of you had to pay? So that's right. Yeah, but we were getting drinks, so that was definitely going to happen. Um, so uh, am I allowed to say that in church? I don't know. Uh, at any rate, uh, so listen, we're in this series, Fresh Perspective. If you're new here to Crossroads Church or, or maybe you've been around, I, I want to say this is really about the heartbeat of who we are and what we feel like we're being created for in this next season, which is a continuation of the vision that started 25 years ago with our founding pastor, John Smith, and a group of people in a living room is that we would be a church for people who felt disconnected from God that we would be a space where, where people who felt like there was no space for them could come and explore a life of faith. And the things that disconnect people from God are different based upon different settings in life. So 25 years ago, 30 years ago, the things that pushed people away from faith are different than they are today. And so we are continuing to evolve as a church. And so this series is really about how we're creating space to think differently about God. And so you might say, oh, well, this church looks like a lot of churches out there. Um, but you might, if you kind of lean in and listen here, that we think and talk about this idea of God and faith uh, maybe a little bit differently. And so this series is really about kind of tackling some big ideas that are within the Christian tradition and, and exploring maybe some ways that have, beco have become toxic to individuals uh, that no longer work for people as they think about these, these ideas. So you know, the first week we talked about why a fresh perspective, why a need for that. And then the second week we talked about, well, what about faith, the word faith, right? What does that mean? And then the next week we talked about the Bible. Whew, we made it through that one. It was a journey, but we held on together. And uh, we talked about that in our conversation groups, right? And then last week, does anybody remember? I don't even remember what we talked about last. It was last week faith and then Bible was before. Yeah, so this is week four. We've only done three. Sorry. I've, I've slept since then. So, uh, yeah. And today we're going to talk about something that can be um, a little frightening, and that is God. So I want to talk about the idea that our conceptualization of this word God today. Uh, and now here's the thing. If your idea of God, the way you conceptualize and think about God in your life is making you more loving, more patient, more kind, more gentle, more compassionate, more loving, then stick with it. <laughs> if you find yourself being more inclusive of the other, you find yourself a, a vision and an understanding that the call of Jesus, the way of Jesus is, is the way of bringing more and more uh, people into our lives, 
that maybe look differently, believe differently with it, that we're not looking for homogeneity in this, but, but that's what your, and your construct, construct of God is doing, then stick with that. I give you a gold star, okay? And really, like, feel free to doodle during this talk. Uh, feel free to just pretend that I'm up here quoting your favorite line from your favorite movie. I don't know. Uh, but I would encourage you to just give space. Give space for maybe those of us in the room that the construct of God that we were handed hit the brick wall of what we call life. <laughs> and that the construct of God that many of us were given, it didn't fit with the reality that we were experiencing and we didn't know what to do. I remember as a, as a what was called a youth pastor at the day, which is kind of a creepy title, but uh, I was, uh, my primary job was working with students in middle school and high school. And uh, I remember parents would come up to me, and I was in a, a fairly kind of conservative evangelical stream church at the time, and they would come up to me and they would be f- frantic, fearful. I mean, with the deep, immense fear, and maybe you as a parent have experienced this, so I'm not making light of it, but it's a very real feeling. Scared to death because their teenager, middle schooler or high schooler is questioning God, questioning the existence of God. And so they would come to me and they'd say, Ryan, will you please talk with Johnny? He's questioning whether God is real. Starting to, like, thinking about, like, thinking about becoming an atheist, which is always kind of a funny, a funny statement to me, but, like, and they're, they're, they're gripped with fear because the construct of God that they had been handed was a God based on dogmatics and believing the right things about that God or else eternal fire and hell. So it's a legitimate concern. Does that make sense to everybody? Like I'm not making light of the concern. Maybe you felt it as a parent at some point given the tradition you were handed. And so I'd, I'd sit down with mom or dad or both and I'd say, yeah, I'm happy to have a conversation with Johnny. I'll do that. But I want you to know right away I might not believe in the God that Johnny doesn't believe in either. <laughs> he just kind of look at me. I said, so, so I'm going to talk with Johnny, but you've got to understand, Johnny and I might have a lot in common with what we're rejecting about God. And so we can have that conversation. And I'll talk with them, but just recognize that because what, what that parent was coming to me with and what little Johnny intuitively knew because of Johnny's experience and encounter with a much smaller world than even mom and dad grew up in, right? This thing called the internet creeped up on us. And uh, I don't know if you've experienced it or not, um, but like all of a sudden we started learning things from across the world and, and engaging with ideas and thoughts from other cultures that we never had available to us before. And, and, and little Johnny was in this much smaller world and started to say, wait. And what was happening in, in, in Johnny's heart and in a lot of our lives was we were kind of handed and we were stuck with the concept of God and language around God that was like Zeus or Molech. And God, the God construct that we were given was like God is basically essentially Zeus or Molech. Now Zeus was the, the head of the Greek pantheon of gods, right? And, and, and Zeus sat on the throne, the God of sky and thunder, ruler of all the gods and the mortals. I don't know if you've ever met Zeus or not, but that Zeus, not a bad guy, not a bad guy, right? The scary guy, definitely. Strong guy, depicted wielding the thunderbolts. You ever seen the pictures, right? But, you know, he was also the god of hospitality, the god of justice, the god of leadership. We don't hear a lot about that because we don't want to, we just want to, you know. But that was kind of Zeus. He played a central role in the lives of, of of people all over in the ancient world. Many people worship Zeus and, and the, the pantheon of gods, right? 
or, or it's kind of grounded to bring it home, a little closer to home to our tradition, the Judeo-Christian tradition, is the idea that God is Molech. Now, Molech was an ancient Canaanite deity that the Israelites worshipped in the Old Testament period. Now, some of you are thinking, no, that's not true, Ryan. The Israelites were monotheists. That one God. I've been through all the classes. I'm going to tell you right now, you're wrong. You can be wrong, it's fine, but you're wrong. Like, it's even right there clear in the Bible that they worshipped other gods. And in fact, the, the big commandment, don't have any other gods besides me, is not like, it's, it's literally like, just keep them lower. Because culture at that point in time didn't have any construct about this idea of one god. You had tribal gods. And, 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 and so one of the tribal gods that the Israelites would come into contact with was this cult around a god named Molech. Now, the way Molech was worshipped was human sacrifice. Right? particularly children. And the, the prophets didn't really like this. I don't know if you know it or not, but they had a problem with this idea of sacrificing children. And so they would oftentimes speak against it. In fact, all throughout the Bible, human sacrifice is strictly forbidden. I'm just going to let that one sink in for a second. Human sacrifice, the sacrifice of your firstborn son, the sacrifice of your only son, was strictly forbidden all throughout the Bible. I'm going to say that again. So you'll set in the problem, you know, you, you'll, it'll set in the problem, some of our thinking around Jesus and the cross, when we realize that the Bible consistently says, like God, the prophets put in the voice of God, like, don't kill your children for me. And then we find a little bit of an inconsistency when that God is described as killing their own child for themselves. But that was the thought, like, that's who God was, like, that's just the way it was. So, so there's this idea of God out there like who needs to be kept happy and it was either through this or that means sacrifices or worship whatever and and they would every now and then intervene now this idea of god this concept of god is called classic theism or supernatural theism and supernatural theism or classic theism is a construct a way of thinking about god that many of us grew up with that god was this being outside of reality that like reality meaning like outside of the physical world, outside of the natural world. And this God would every now and then intervene. And this God would intervene with miracles and would intervene with healings and would intervene at times to give the Ten Commandments and would intervene at times to do different things. But essentially, this God lived outside of our time and our space. Very powerful God, right? All-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all those all-words, Right? And any time that this God would get involved, it was a supernatural intervention, right? And there was this God that would then come in. So the core belief idea behind supernatural theism is that this God outside of creation is responsible for creating, sustaining, and ultimately then judging the world based upon behavior, right? Now, there's some dangers within supernatural theism, right? Dangers. One of the dangers is that it leads to a very rigid and dogmatic view of God, right? This is who God is, this being, and this is what this being demands of us in worship. We start to take that very literally, and, and this God is ultimately disconnected with my human reality. So in the scripture, we have a lot of that being dealt with with this idea of Jesus as an incarnation. Now, now this foreign outside deity can come and understand who we are, know our pain, right? But that's what happens with supernatural theism. Supernatural theism leads to a disconnection of compassion, right? Compassion and understanding for those who hold different beliefs. Because if this is what or who God is very definitively, then if you believe something else, then that's 
false. That's, that's not true. And so we just become indifferent to those beliefs or become hostile even, which produces a sense of exclusivism, right? Like, we've got it right. We're superior. We know what this God out there that we can point to is like. And that creates, again, intolerance generally, leads to violence. People don't share those same beliefs. can also lead to this real neglect of meeting practical needs in the world. Because if the conceptualization of God is out there, like able to do anything, right? Well, if this God wants to change the plight of the impoverished, this God would do it. Certainly there's a reason for people to be in poverty. There's a reason for people to be hurting and struggling. And that's, that's God's business. And so oftentimes believers in a supernaturalist, theistic understanding of God will prioritize spiritual matters over the real life, tangible, sweat and blood, pressing concerns of our world. Now, this concept of God is, is referred to by a lot of different things, by a lot of different theologians and scholars, but, but two in particular, that one, from a, one that we're kind of tracking with a little bit, a guy named was Marcus Borg, who's since passed away, but Marcus Borg and another guy named Brad Jersak, they call this idea of God, classic theism, supernatural theism, as a thin conceptualization of God. And it works for some, it's worked for a lot of people, and it's worked for a, a huge season of time. And this thin conceptualization of God sees God as outside, right? And every now and then acting in our lives, right? Unfortunately, the language of inviting Jesus into my heart is grounded in this kind of idea because it, it, it presupposes that at some point in time, Jesus or God wasn't in me, wasn't a part of me, right? And so there's this outside thin concept. Now, this thin concept of God has produced lots of unhealthy and dangerous images of God. Now, it's not that it's terrible because it has worked and has created a lot of loving people, but at some point, it also creates some pretty distorted, dangerous views. So one, one way in which we think about God is that God is a punitive God, right? This portrait oftentimes portrays God as a harsh judge, punishing people for their sins, right? And this view then gets used to justify the violence, the oppression, the discrimination, the expulsion, the exclusion, because if God's going to eventually do that to people, we should start doing it now to help the process along, <laughs> Okay, now then there's this idea of a distant God, right? So, so classic theism and supernatural theism produces this idea that God is distant, that somehow uninvolved, away, up in heaven, doing heaven things, and every now and then is bothered by us and has to intervene. Now, this idea of God creates a deep sense of loneliness in the human soul, like a deep sense of longing and, and oftentimes abandonment. Where were you, God? I said all the prayers. Where were you when? Why didn't this healing happen? And so that disillusionment takes place and leads people to question the existence of a thing called God, the reality of it. Another dangerous image that emerges from this is, is an exclusive God. The idea of a God that is really, really interested in just a select few, right? A chosen group, a chosen race, a chosen gender, a chosen ethnicity, a chosen sexuality, a chosen religion. And certainly that exclusive idea of God has created intense suffering in the world. Many of you have embodied that suffering. You've experienced yourselves that suffering. That God is only concerned with people who can fit this mold. It just happens to be the dominant culture mold that I grew up in and was raised in. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? You know, that the one true religion I just happened to be born into the right zip code for. And, 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 all, and, and then all of a sudden we just start to exclude and, and all, that, all the division happens. It even happens among people who believe in this God. Or there's the idea of a controlling God. 
If God is all-powerful, God is all-controlling, he's a micromanager, she's a micromanager, they're a micromanager, whatever pronouns you want to use, God's user-friendly, right? And micromanaging everything, and everything in your life has to happen for a reason, and that feels really good, and then, then there's some things that happen, and the, there's no reasonable explanation for the pain that you walk through, and we're, we're given all kinds of like human words to try and make it feel better, but at the end of the day, it just feels like suffering for the sake of suffering and no redemptive value, and what am I going through? And why? And if this God is all controlling, then there's no room for free will. There's no room for personal responsibility. It's just, this is the way the world is and God's controlling everything. And this produces a sense of hopelessness around us and resentment among believers oftentimes. And, and we just then reject that God altogether. If God is all powerful and could do anything, and this is what anything looks like, <laughs> I'm out. Forget it. So given all of the realities of the, the problems that life now we're butting up against as we evolve as human beings, as we think about God, as we think about it from the Christian tradition, there is some wisdom in a fresh perspective that's emerging and has been emerging and actually has always existed. It just hasn't been the dominant way of thinking. So a couple of things about this fresh perspective on the idea that a new concept, a reemerging of a concept of God. And the first one is this, a fresh perspective, right? A, a fresh perspective embraces a couple of things. First of all, it embraces that our understanding of God is incomplete and evolving, always. So ground zero for understanding God is that my understanding of God is incomplete and therefore has to evolve. It has to change. We see this in the Christian tradition, the Judeo-Christian tradition from, from some of the earliest scriptures we have. It's, it's hidden there. It's baked in. It's trying to break through classic theism. As early as the prophet Isaiah, actually this was the school of Isaiah, in Isaiah 55, right? Isaiah kind of writes this in God's words and says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, for the heavens are, are higher than the earth, and so are my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, right? Baked into the understanding of the earliest kind of parts of our tradition was, we'll never get God. <laughs> Don't try, I mean, it's baked into the beautiful story of Moses in the Exodus, where, God, where Moses sees this burning bush, this beautiful story, and, and all of a sudden he's like, well, who are you? And God's like, don't bother with that. You'll never figure it out. Doesn't he, like, we think that God gave a name, but really what God was saying was don't even try. Don't even try. It's a beautiful conceptualization of God that we get in that story. Peter, on this rock I'll build my church, right? Guy who walked on water in the stories denied Jesus, was restored, did all these beautiful miracles. We have all these great stories about Peter. His understanding evolved of God. In Acts chapter 10, verse 17, you could read Acts chapter 9 and 10 and get this big, beautiful story, but just enough to say that Jesus said in truth, or that Paul, that we're talking about Peter. Man, that Peter said, in truth, I see that God shows no partiality. Now, that might seem like no big deal to you or I, but to a guy who grew up in like first century Palestine in Judaism, the chosen people, <laughs> that's a big deal. Like his whole understanding of God was grounded on like, I am part of the chosen people. And to have him say, well, God doesn't show any partiality. Like that's not, I don't even know what, that's not a 180, that's something else. I mean, that is a whole new fresh perspective that he comes into. A guy named Saul, who would become known as Paul, who uh, a bunch of the letters that we have in the New Testament come from him or come from people who 
are in his school of thought, and even some people who didn't like Paul, they wrote, I'm convinced that they wrote letters in Paul's name to try and undo some of the things that Paul was saying, right? He was, a, he was an important figure in our tradition. Like Saul's going around, and it says in Acts chapter 22 that, that he's like persecuting the way. It's what people who follow Jesus were called. He's persecuting them to death, it says. He was binding both men and women. This is his words, delivering them to prison. Even the high priest and the whole council of elders, that's like Congress and the president, okay? Like, we, we got to get our, our terms right here. That's not like the pastors and the, you know, that's not like me. Although I probably would have been telling him to do it too, but that's like for the high priest, that's like the president of the United States and Congress. Like, they gave papers to Saul and said, go take care of these knuckleheads. They're causing problems. We're going to, they're going to ruin us. He said, so I was, I was, I was, I got the letters and I was going out and I was arresting everybody and I was sending them out. And we know Saul has this incredible experience and he changes and he becomes one of those people. And then he starts developing little revolutionary communities. He's organizing. He's politically organizing is what he's doing because he can say, oh, I'm done in Thessalonica. And he's got like eight people at a little house. He's like, okay, we got that covered. We got this covered. And he's going all around the Mediterranean establishing these little communities that are offering an alternative way of living than the empire of Rome. His, his whole, he just changed. He evolved. He said, well, I've had a, I mean, a big misunderstanding about what God was up to in the world. The scholar named Karen Armstrong, she wrote a book called The History of God. And in The History of God, she traces the evolutionary thinking around God throughout history. And so she explores how different cultures and religions, particularly the three religions that are related, Judaism, Judaism Christianity, Islam, brings those together and, and traces the ideas of how the conceptualizations of God have taken place over time, or divine, the divine have taken place over time. And she says that the word God, the word that we use God, represents the ultimate reality or transcendent experience. And we're always evolving in our language about God and our understanding of it. And, and this is consistent with much of the Christian tradition, that we, we're understanding God not as a literal, like, being out there, like Zeus, but ultimate reality that permeates and sustains our existence, and that our understanding of God changes over time. It evolves over time. The words we use, the way in which we, a great way to say it, the way in which we, we imagine and reimagine the divine is going to be based on our experiences and our culture and our knowledge. And so this fresh perspective, what a couple of scholars are calling a thin, is, is, is offering an alternative to the thin way of thinking about God and offering a thick concept of God. A thick, like that God is thick around us. Not thin in that there and then here every now and then, there and then here every now and then, but thick. Like, a, you know, like, you know, I had to ever take medicine that was thick. <laughs> Just something on your hands, thick, like can't get it off. You got to buy that orange stuff, you know, or whatever it is. And this idea of a thick concept, conceptualization of God is that God is a loving presence. And not just a loving presence, but the loving presence that permeates everything in the universe. That that's God. And we're constantly using language to describe this God. And this revolutionary, put the R in parentheses, because it's an evolutionary view, is not new, it's present in our scriptures. It's present in the Christian scriptures. It's present there. It's present in the Hebrew scriptures. Psalm chapter 139, verse 7 through 10 says, where can I go from your spirit? From your presence, where can I flee? 
If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I lie down in Sheol, those were like the two farthest extremes you can imagine. If the world has three layers, <laughs> and that's the way you thought of it, flat three layers. If I go way up there, if I go way down there, you are. If I take the wings of dawn and dwell beyond the sea, even there your hand guides me. Your right hand holds me fast, right? Beautiful metaphorical language around this idea of a thick God, that God is a thickness all around us. We can't, can't get away from Paul in Romans chapter 8, he would say, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor present things, nor future things, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Saying the same thing, same thing as what the psalmist is saying, where can I go? What can actually separate me from this thick reality? In Acts chapter 17, the writer of Acts is giving us a story of Paul who's trying to help some folks understand God. And he says this, he says, it's like what some of your philosophers say, that this is the God in whom we live and move and have our being. A little letter called 1 John that we have in the New Testament says, whoever is without love does not know God, for God is love. And so what, this thread that goes throughout our scriptures, our tradition, is that God is not a thing or an object. Now, we create things and objects, even though we were told not to, <laughs> right? We create things and objects because we need them. They help us, right? Father Richard Rohr, Franciscan monk, he writes this. He says, God is not a thing or an object that we can point to or describe, but rather God is the ground of all being, right? It's, it's, it's what holds and sustains all the existence, he, he describes it as like, you can think of God as an energy that flows through all things, right? Now, I know that gets weird if you're a Star Wars fan and you're like, oh, well, he got it right. <laughs> and it's a little more than that, a little trickier than that, but there's just truth in all things, right? I mean, <laughs> that there is this reality. And that this thing, it, it's, it's the love that animates and sustains the universe. I love that phrase, the love that animates and sustains the universe. So a fresh perspective embraces that love is the unchanging nature within God. If God is the thickness, this other, this really real, the more that sustains all things, then the, the unchanging nature of that which we cannot see, that which we cannot taste or touch, the unchanging nature within God is love. It's love. The Orthodox Church, the way they describe God is that God is pure love, love only, and that any other thing that we think about in terms of God's actions or quote-unquote behavior, these kinds, this kind of language, flow from love. And this one nature of God is love, right? That one nature, God is love, God is just love, is manifest in its fullest, right? For in the, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, in Christ crucified and risen, that phrase. Like the ultimate, this is what points us to everything about God is love. Christ crucified and risen. And here's the thing, our need to change in our understanding of God, that's always going to happen because God is just too big of a mystery. That, that need for us to change our language and change our understanding and evolve does not mean that the ultimate nature of God is changing, right? So the need for new language, the need for reimagining, which has been a part of human history, that, is, that has nothing to do with the unchanging nature of God. So think of a river, a river runs through it. Think of Brad Pitt. It's a beautiful scene, right? So think of a river, right? 
A river is constantly flowing and changing, right? It's adapting to its environment. It's adapting. If there's a, a rush of a river, it's going gonna, it's gonna to expand. It's going to fill. It's going gonna, it's gonna to move and flow. It's very powerful. It deals with its landscape. It deals with its environment. And, and so, to our understanding of God, is like that. It's always changing. It's always moving. It's always flowing into new spaces, always looking at the changing world around us and filling in the cracks and the crevices, right? But just like the river has a source, right? That river, that water comes from someplace. It's flowing from somewhere, right? The, the unchanging nature of God, that love is the spiritual nourishment and guidance for our lives. It's what flows all through us, all through human history. It's what is meant to fill in the cracks, right? So ultimately, the key to emphasize, right, it's not exactly what the river looks like right in this point, right? But we want to emphasize the stable foundation for healthy spirituality, the source for guidance in our lives, for spiritual experience, goes back to the source, that unchanging source of love. So when we say that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we speak of the source, right? That unchanging reality that feeds and nourishes and heals and restores and binds up the brokenhearted love. So all, all that fits into, okay, there is an unchanging nature to this expansive reality of God. And then a fresh perspective embraces a personal experience with this love, with this God. And so the idea that God is thick, present in all things, is not to say that we don't relate in a personal way. Because if God is a loving presence, then as a presence, we experience it personally. And we're st stuck with our language. <laughs> I don't know if you know that or not, but, but we're like Rene Descartes, one of the uh, philosophers, he said, you know, we're slaves of the marketplace language. Like if I want to go buy fruit, I got to be able to speak the language. I got to understand it. And so in a sense, our relationship with the really real, with the divine, with the more is a slave to our, our language. And so we use language, like even today we sang songs that have language about, I will rest in the Father's hands. Like, I don't want to burst your bubble. I don't, God doesn't have hands. <laughs> but I can rest in God's hands. And this is why when we talk about the need for a metaphor, histor metaphorical historical understanding of Scripture, it's because God is so much bigger than this idea of classic deism and supernatural theism. So we have to have metaphor because it's the way we speak of the really real that's beyond us. So this loving presence, it's non-coercive. This presence isn't forcing anything up. We're not forced to live in it. You can choose not to live in love. Y'all ever done that? You're liars. Oh my gosh. You're going to lie to my face right now. You're like, this morning I didn't live in love. We were running late. <laughs> Like, we can make a choice. It's non-coercive, right? We can live in it or not in it. What Paul would say, we're in Christ, right? Faith is about choosing to live in that love, in that stream, so to speak. So our understanding of God is not only shaped by kind of external sources like our religious texts, like our traditions, things we're handed, the things we do that are part of our faith tradition, but also by our personal experiences and encounters with the divine. And that, to me, is just a fact of human history. Like, every culture has its way of thinking about God. It's just, like, crafted in our hearts. And so, our personal experience, our scriptures, our traditions, they guide us 
and they shape us and they form us. And that's kind of this ongoing relationship with God that we have. It's a dynamic reality. We grow into it. It's a process. And like any relationship, we just spend time in it. We work at it. Something I've always said since I was a children's pastor, like, like God is user-friendly. <laughs> Prayer is user-friendly. People say, I don't know how to pray. Well, perfect. Neither do I. Like, I mean, that's wonderful. Like, let's just get on the same page here. Because there is no way to pray, right? It's just user-friendly. It's the faith to believe that there is this encounter that I can have, right? But it's personal. So Psalm 39, our tradition, Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him, right? Metaphor, metaphor, metaphor. But truth and real, more real than, more real than the chair you're sitting in right now, more stable, more whole is this truth that I can taste and see the goodness of God in my life. That is available to me. And that goodness is a refuge when the world isn't good. And that goodness is a source of strength when life isn't good. And it has nothing to do with a divine being who sits on a literal throne somewhere that if I say the right prayer, do the right thing, then somehow this God will come and visit me. No. It's about recognizing that the good in this world can sustain us when the world isn't good. That's the divine. That's beauty. And we use all kinds of language for that. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that language. We shouldn't be afraid of it either, but we should just be cautious when we start to take it literally because of what we said earlier. James 4, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Now, does that mean that God is distant from you? It's a metaphor. <laughs> Don't drive too deep into it literally. What is this verse saying to us? This verse is saying to us that if we will be intentional with our drawing near to God, we will experience God as near. It has nothing to do with the reality. In him we live and move and have our being. In it we live and in she, in her we have. An, I, I'm not, I don't care about pronouns. I don't think God does either. I don't, I don't know so much. I'm not going to say that because that would get me in trouble. You'll definitely leave if I say that. But the point of the passage is not the farness of God, but the, the lie that we believe God is far from us. That's what permeates our tradition that's so beautiful is it's all a lie that we're not like God, that God isn't present with us, that God isn't us, and we're constantly trying to adapt and change and, 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 and retell the truth in the midst of the lie. And so we draw near to God, and God will draw near to us. There's a reality there. And then finally, a, fre a fresh perspective on God embraces something very important within our tradition, and that is a Christ-like God, a Christ-like God. And so our tradition says that God... This, this, this reality, oh, it's raining. I know y'all are thinking it, so let's just pause for a second and live in that moment. Like the earth is being replenished. Resurrection is happening, right? That's good. That's good. So that's the blessing of God, as our Old Testament ancestors would say, right? Time to bring in the sacrifice. Let's, let's receive the offering now. Just, just kidding, a little. Is that a fresh perspective says that the way we perceive and encounter and interact is modeled after that God is Christ-like, that we hold Jesus as the, the picture of what a human filled with God looks like. And so as we imagine and as we image this ima unimaginable God, <laughs> as we image that, we image the icon of Jesus. And we use beautiful language, son of God, 
very God of very God, all those beautiful things in our creeds, but there are many that don't take those things so literally as others, and there are others that take it super literally, and my point is our construct, the way in which we think about God, if it's producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, the nearness of God in our lives, great, but if it's not, it's okay to question, do I need a new conceptualization, right? Do I need a new conceptualization? This is what Jesus said to his disciples in John. So John has this encounter with Jesus and Philip, and Philip's like, show us the Father, right? Like, it's like, it's like you know, do your magic trick, you know? And Jesus says, have I been with you for such a long time, and you still don't know me? Now, listen, I have no idea if this conversation ever happened with Philip or not, but I'm glad it's in John. I'm glad it's in John, because there's so much deep truth. Have I been with you so long that you don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen God. Literally, the Greek word there is Father, but I put the word God in because that's what Jesus was talking about, and I don't want us to get caught up in sexist language, right? And I mean sexist in a neutral way, right? Like, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen God. How can you say, show us God? Do you not believe that I am in God and God is in me? Now, listen, this is John teaching us the reality of Jesus. John's community is struggling with who is God and where it's because like, it's Jesus. Like you want to see it walking around in flesh. This is it. Like Jesus is not here to show you how to be God or divine. Jesus is here to show you how to be human. <laughs> this is the fullest expression. And Jesus goes on. He says, well, the words I speak to you, I don't speak on my own. God who dwells in me is doing this work. That's like a call for us. To recognize, like, if I live and move and have my being, the more I do that, the more I draw near, the more will flow out of me this. Colossians, one of the letters in the New Testament, it says this, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Okay? That's the idea. In Him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Now, like, what? We're not going to catch that one in two minutes, okay? But the, the point of it, the point of the language, the point of the metaphor, is that in this person, Jesus, that we now worship, that we now believe to be elevated to the right hand of God, whatever that meant to them, like, is the source for us of, of understanding God in the healthiest way imaginable. It's the visible expression of the invisible reality. And so the Christ-like God perspective challenges us to know Jesus as an example, to see Jesus as an example, and to see God in others. Just as Jesus saw God in himself and saw God in us, we see the same thing, especially, especially the marginalized and oppressed. So don't miss this. Here's the point. I know you're like, thank God, Ryan. I'm hungry. It's 11.07. I know you've looked at your watch. If you didn't, you just did. That's called spiritual manipulation. All right? Don't miss this. A fresh perspective, what we're talking about, embraces God. And this is big, but God's kind of big. The life-giving, unchanging, and loving mystery revealed in Jesus that we can root ourselves in through personal experience. That's the best I got for you today for a definition of God. Now, that might change. I might listen to a podcast this week, read an article, blows that all up, right? But that's what I got for you today. That a fresh perspective, when we want to talk about God, we want to reimagine God, we embrace that God is this life-giving, 
unchanging, loving mystery. And that mystery is revealed in Jesus, and we can root ourselves in it through personal experience. Ephesians chapter 3 says this, that you rooted and grounded in, what's the word? Love. Not doctrine, not in, rooted and grounded in love. May have strength to comprehend with all the holy ones what is the breadth and length and height and depth, which is incomprehensible, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I think love of Christ is metaphor for God, <laughs> this divine reality, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, there is a knowing that surpasses knowledge and reason, and it requires experience. And while explaining God is important, it's not nearly as important as experiencing God. Opening our hearts, not to what I've said to you about God, but opening yourself to the reality that God is real. And trusting that experience, trusting that if God is love, you don't have to have it all right. And trusting part of our tradition. Richard Rohr, in his book on the Trinity, he writes this, Mystery is something you cannot understand. It's not something you cannot understand. It's something that you can endlessly understand. I love that. So to say that God is mystery, to say that we can't have any understanding or any knowledge or anything, no, it's just saying we can endlessly understand it. And then he says this, there is no point at which you can say, I've got it. Always and forever, mystery gets you. So God is love and life-giving, the ground of our being that grips us and holds us and carries us and empowers us, that removes all of our fears, that opens our eyes to see and our ears to hear, that brings life to death, that causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. This is what we can experience. And it does make us better people. And it does make this world a better place because a fresh perspective on God sets the prisoner free. See, many of us have been imprisoned by a distant God, a God of supernatural theism that is to be feared and revered and worshiped just the right way and understood with reason and rationality. And if we don't do it this, and if we don't say it this way, and if we don't do the prayer, and if we don't get it this way, and if you aren't baptized this way, blah, 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 then it's all over with. And that is a prison of fear and guilt. But love, perfect love, casts out fear. And so a fresh perspective on God says, hey, I got to shed that skin. It worked for me, but I got to shed it. This idea of the distant God, this idea of, nope, and I need this image of a sustaining reality that is ultimate goodness, ultimate love. And I'm going to use language, I get it, that's going to be insufficient, but that's what I'm going to hold in my prayer is this belief in this reality that has that depth of meaning. It is God revealed in Jesus. And then I think a fresh perspective on God that we're talking about really helps us do some, something very powerful. It helps us to love mercy, <laughs> to do justice, and walk humbly. I hate to be a broken record, but Micah 6.8, beautiful passage of Scripture. What is it that, that God wants of you? What is it that God requires of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly? See, this is that walk humbly portion with God. Like, I can't get you all figured out, God, so I'm not here to say who's in and who's out because we're all in. Like, we're all in it. 
We're all in this divine reality. So as we wrap up today, what is it that God's inviting you into? If this God, this concept that we're talking about is relational, is love, what am I being invited to? And again, you might say, Ryan, my concept of God, the way I think about it is great. Stop messing with it. Wonderful. But you should feel free to ignore me anytime you want. It's weird. If you ignore me, you don't ignore me. It's funny. I still get the paycheck. <laughs> so we have a good relationship, right? <laughs> but maybe, maybe you've been rejecting God, but really what you've been rejecting is an understanding of God as Zeus or Moloch. And maybe there's something inside of you that says, maybe I ought to consider God as a loving presence, the ground of existence that I can, I can find to be sustaining and true and whole in my life. Maybe, maybe you are like a shedding skin moment, you know, on this idea of God, and you just want to have a conversation. You want to hear other people that are going through that? Jump into a conversation group when we talk about God. It won't be this week, but it'll be the following week. Come on out on Thursday night at 6.30. Sit at a table. You don't have to talk. You just listen to other people as they talk about their experiences with the, their reconceptualizing of God, right? So maybe jump into that or one of the other groups that are meeting. And maybe you're in this space of like, I'm, I had walked away and then somehow I came here today and I'm not sure and this is really messing with me because I was so certain that it was all garbage, but now I'm like, wait a second. Maybe that was all garbage for me, but this really, I'm, now you're just lost. Like, there's a great podcast uh, from a, there's a great episode from a podcast called A Pastor and a Philosopher Walk Into a Bar. Right? You just want to listen to that, don't you? Right? So it's, it's season three, episode 15, and it's called Reconstruction, uh, an interview with Brad Jerzak. And I would encourage anybody who's in this process to just listen. It's about an hour long. If you want that, just check the box on your Connect card, and we'll email the link right to you. So you don't have to go like find it, write it down real quick, but we'll email it to you, or you can you know, search for it in any of your podcast apps. But I would encourage you to maybe check that out, listen to it this week. So we're going to have our blessing for the day and get out of here in just a moment. Band's going to sing a little bit of this song, Bigger Than I Thought, that we sang earlier. As you finish your Connect card, get your donation ready if you're of the donating type. I want to thank those of you that are, that are supporting this work and what we're believing God is calling us to do. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you, thank you. We just believe deeply that this is the space that God's called us to be in, and it's a space where a lot of hurting people are. So thank you for that. Thank you for giving. So take a few moments to breathe in, breathe out, finish that Connect card, your donation. Our room hosts will be around. If you miss the, I don't know if it's a bucket or a basket or whatever receptacle comes by you, there's orange Hope is Here kiosk in the back. You can drop your Connect card and giving envelope in. And I'll be back with our blessing in just a moment.